0: Hello, and welcome to the DSR Daily. I'm David Rothkoff, joined as ever by Chris Cotmore. How are you doing, Chris?
1: Doing well, thanks.
0: Excellent. And Riley Fessler, how are you, Riley? Doing well. What is your top story for today, Chris Cotmore?
1: A bipartisan border reform and funding package for Ukraine and border protection uh, has been called dead on arrival. This package was introduced by the Senate uh, just a couple of days ago, and while um, they probably knew already that the package was, was essentially dead in the house as David's new favorite person, your boy is no longer Vivek Ramaswamy. Your new boy yeah, is what,
0: what
1: we, Mike, you're, Johnson. You're, Mike Johnson. Uh, you've been writing a lot about Mike Johnson um, as, as being, it, it takes a lot to be the worst House Speaker in the history of the United States, and he's angling for that uh, position. But one, I, I do think this is a net positive because it at least gets what? a convers. Yeah, because the conversation's out there. People now are starting to understand, at least in m- my opinion, I could be wrong because I'm a wacky, you know, poli-sci econ guy. But funding for Ukraine is important. They've put a bill forward. And they've included funding for border protections, um, you know, despite that um, the Democrats probably not necessarily interested in that aspect of the bill. But at least the conversations out there, discussions will take place and we'll see what happens. I'm sure you have a different take on this, David.
0: But you could tell when I said what? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, right now, I'm as angry as I have been in a long time. I mean, I I really feel that what's going on here is absolutely the most cynical, the most irresponsible politics that I have seen. Yes, MAGA is responsible for the coup. Yes, MAGA is responsible for the repeal of Roe v. Wade. Yes, MAGA is responsible for the decline in American values by putting forward a guy who is a rapist and a serial uh, woman abuser uh, to be the president of the United States, and oh, don't forget that he's a, a racist on top of all of that. All those things are true. But from a national security perspective, this cynical act of saying, Well, there's going to be no aid for Ukraine until there's a border deal. And then a bunch of people get together and put together the strongest border deal that we have seen since the Bush administration, which also put an immigration reform package together that also ended up being killed by the Republican right. Um, And and they they put this forward um, and Joe Biden called their bluff. He said, "Okay, I'll do that deal. And they were like, oh, my God. Then we won't have immigration to run on in the fall. And Trump calls up Johnson and says, "No, we've got to kill this thing." And Johnson says, "This is dead on arrival." But what does it also do? It also—I mean, that's that's bad enough. That that reveals how cynical they are. They have nothing to run on. They are the party of grievance. Uh, you take away one of their grievances, it weakens them. Uh, even if you replace it with an accomplishment, because they don't know what to do with accomplishments, because they have no fucking accomplishments. But take it a step further, and block the Ukraine package. We're on the verge of seeing the first city in Ukraine to fall since Bakhmut fall in the next few days because Ukraine is not getting enough aid. There are many people who feel that this will give Russia a big boost. Russia is our most dangerous enemy in that part of the world, and we are sending multiple messages with this. We cannot be trusted with Ukraine. We cannot be trusted with our allies. And there is a party in the United States that is working to undermine the crown jewel of U.S. national security policy, which is our network of alliances worldwide. How do you think other people are going to look at us? How do you think the Chinese will look at us with regard to whether or not we cover it for Taiwan? How do you think anybody will look at us? This is going to uh, take a, a potential victory over the Russians and potentially turn it into a a, a defeat. Uh, and I, I got to tell you something, if Russia sees blood in the water, weakened NATO, sees the potential of somebody like Trump pulling out of NATO, what do you think they're going to do in the Baltics? What do you think they're going to do in Moldova? They're going to go in. And when they go into an EU country that is part of NATO, Article 5 says, we've got to go in and we've got to help them. And that's going to be U.S. boots on the ground. And so all of a sudden, this cynical political act is going to make our worst enemies stronger. It's going to make our alliances weaker. And it's going to put our own sons and daughters in harm's way to try and undo the damage that this causes. So, yeah, I disagree.
2: Riley. So uh, a bit of a diplomatic row between Australia and China over the sentencing of an Australian writer, uh, Yang Hanzhong, uh, on espionage charges, and this follows a closed-door trial. Uh, it was three years after his closed-door trial, uh, and the verdict surprised his family and supporters. It was a suspended death sentence, um, so obviously a very serious charge uh, and verdict. and. You know, I would have expected this to have pretty severe consequences on relations, but at least the article I read said that uh, analysts are saying this is unlikely to significantly impact uh, Australia-China relations, which surprised me. Uh, The Australian Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, expressed outrage. Look,
0: it'll damage the relationship, but the reason they put a two-year period in there, I think, is to leave room for potentially some negotiation, some kind of swap, some kind of deal um, uh, as, as this goes forward. Uh, frankly, Australian relations with China are very dicey right now. Uh, as it is, China is a very big issue. You know, in, in, in Australia, a lot of Americans don't really sort of, you know, get the vibe. Australia is essentially part of Asia. It's there. It's in the neighborhood. What China's doing, uh, is on Australia's doorstep. And so, uh they are they are already super skeptical uh acts like this um uh are uh you know d- uh, undoubtedly going to uh f- fuel the hawks within australia uh and f- and frankly around the world uh, uh the you know the people who say that the chinese regime uh is unfair so uh uh this is an uh, you know an extra added tension point Uh, But you know who cares? The U.S. is out of the international business anyway because MAGA doesn't want us to support our allies. MAGA wants our enemies to get stronger. We can just you know fold up our tent, go home. You know we'll leave Australia to do this on their own. So if you think I'm over my anger for that last story, I'm not. But it's not personal, Chris. It's just I find what Johnson and Trump are doing to be indefensible.
1: Well, that's the point. I'm I'm trying to get your. Anger out into the world here. Well, I feel much uh,
0: better now. Thank you. It's this um, therapeutic.
1: Secretary of State Antony Blinken is in the Middle East yet again, uh, doing his best to negotiate a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. Uh, there's a deal on the table which Hamas has yet to respond to. Uh, yesterday, he met with uh, the Saudi crown prince uh, to discuss the details. Um, I got to say again, you know, I try to be optimistic in these situations. We've been dealing with this since October 7th. and There has been absolutely no movement. And, and I'm not suggesting this is Biden's administration fault here, but there's been no movement. People continue to die. Um, And, you know, we we, we talk about this region like, you know, over 25,000 people haven't already died uh, with a a large percentage of the population having been displaced uh, and, um, you know, loved ones still uh, being held hostage. Um, I hope something comes of these meetings, um, but I am not optimistic.
0: Well, nor should you be. Yesterday, we did a podcast uh, and uh, with uh, our on our above average intelligence podcast with Mark Paul we had uh, with us a former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense from the Trump administration who's working on humanitarian issues here. Uh, and the three of us recognized that you know, not only are twenty seven thousand plus uh, people dead in Gaza, which is one of the worst tolls in a period this short ever in uh, in modern history. Um, But there are another potentially uh, 25,000, 30,000 people who could die of starvation, who could die of other preventable causes over the course of the next several weeks. Now, the United States made a mistake here. Uh, As people who listen to our podcast know, I am often a supporter of the Biden administration's foreign policy. uh, And I think very, very highly of the Biden administration's uh, foreign policy team. But a mistake was made. And the mistake was uh, throwing our arms around Bibi Netanyahu and saying, whatever you want, brother. Uh, Although, you know, I understand the emotional reasons for that. It was a terrible mistake because he is an untrustworthy guy. But worse than being untrustworthy, he's a bad man. He is a bad leader. He is responsible, and his parties are responsible, and the people in his party are responsible for really atrocious policies. Uh, And I think the administration is trying to find ways to distance itself from it. Uh, I would add one other thing. There's an article in Politico today um, uh, uh, by a respected journalist that says Tony Blinken is too nice to be Secretary of State. I think that's just complete bullshit. Uh, The article says Blinken is tough behind closed doors. Of course he is. That's what a diplomat does. He has been traveling around the region tirelessly. He has been working to try to ensure humanitarian issues are front and center, that the other countries in the region try to find a path towards uh, a a day after plan that actually works. Uh, And he is not solely responsible for the mistake that was made. Does he have some responsibility as everybody in the administration does? Yes. But I still think we are extremely fortunate to have such a capable diplomat. Uh, working so hard uh, to try to resolve this situation. But, Chris, I share your pessimism at the moment.
2: Riley. Lawmakers from Viktor Orban's Fidesz party boycotted an emergency parliamentary session that was aimed at advancing Sweden's NATO membership bid, uh, which has contributed to the long delay uh, that has frustrated all members of NATO uh, other than Hungary and Turkey, And even now, Turkey has approved Sweden's accession, so Hungary is the hang-up. Orban has previously promised uh, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg that he will expedite the ratification process, but this is just another speed bump on the way. Uh, Some Hungarian officials are saying that a vote will not occur until the Swedish Prime Minister visits Budapest uh, for negotiations, and the Swedish Prime Minister has said that he will not visit until they have already taken the vote. So, a bit of a uh, dilemma there. Um, But I just think it's interesting that while Orban is saying that he is willing to expedite this process, members of his party seem to be holdouts.
0: Well, does this sound familiar? Does this sound like what's going on here? You know, this is not the Orban party. This is not the MAGA party. This is the Putin party. And These parties are actively working systematically to advance the interests of Putin and Russia. Um, uh, And, you know, I I know there's a whole bunch of people out there go, oh, Russia, 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 and you have Trump derangement syndrome. There's a reason it's been an issue since 2015. There's a reason Tucker Carlson is there this week. You know, there's a reason that, you know, uh, Mike Flynn went there. There's a reason that you know, Trump kissed up to this guy. Um, there's a reason that he handed classified information to them in the Oval Office. There is a reason uh, for people to be afraid, the entire intelligence community of the United States to be afraid. And that is that there is, you know, as, as, as badly as Russia's war on the ground in Ukraine has gone, it's um, operations, covert operations in the West have been hugely successful, and right now there are two people in the United States who have the potential of being president of the United States starting next January, and one of them is a um, a, a, a man who has demonstrated his fidelity to Putin from day one in a party that has done the same. And if you doubt it, look at Mike Johnson. Look at the MAGA Republicans in the House, and look at their opposition to providing vitally needed aid to Ukraine. Um, and by the way, you know they, you know they say, well, you know, the, you know, all this aid goes to Ukraine. We need it here at home. No, eighty percent of the aid actually goes to American companies that provide the weapons. The, the the aid is not going to Ukraine. The aid is going to U.S. companies that then provide the weapons to Ukraine. Uh, And the return on this investment, when they say, well, we need more oversight, is the biggest return on a national security investment we have ever seen, where for a tiny investment in this war, we've destroyed effectively half of Russia's military. So these are crazy times, but it's a mistake to think these stories do not tie together. They do. Chris?
1: Uh, Hence my next story, which, you know, maybe in normal times would be a throwaway, but there were um, or uh, there was a terrorist attack in a Turkish court by two assailants resulting in their death, um, which, you know, I raise because the this is part of um, growing violent incidents in Turkey to go along with, you know, obviously what we're dealing with in Gaza and Iran and Ukraine and Russia and China. Um it's it I think we you know we're we're at a point in the Middle East where um you know it's it's seriously um dangerous at at this point. And to your earlier point about Tony Blinken, Anthony Blinken. Um it's the definition of diplomacy, right? You're supposed to be tough behind closed doors. You're supposed to, uh, you know, be cordial in in front of the cameras. You know, his boss needs needs to be tough, and and you know, I think as you've said, you know, he's he's the epitome of a of a diplomat, the kind of person that we want, especially given the situation. And listen, I don't want <laughs> you think I want Donald Trump and you know the failed foreign policy apparatus that he had in place when he was in office, dealing with this—absolutely not.
0: Yeah, and I thought you were a Trumper once. You know, I thought back in the day, you know, 2016, you were kind of like thinking about it. No, oh my god, oh my god, I'm getting a lot of hostility. Um, a lot of a lot of hostility for for first thing in the morning, Riley. Save me. What do you got?
2: Well, a bit of a gear shift. Uh, Europe is uh, set to, or the European Union is set to propose a significant target of reducing emissions by 90% by 2040, uh, which would accelerate the shift away from fossil fuels and make some pretty major changes in transportation agriculture in order to achieve carbon neutrality by 2050. So it's a really really ambitious goal. Uh, It's not surprising given that EU has kind of led the way on this. Uh, globally. But the internal challenges are immense. Uh, As we've covered on this show several times, the farmers' strikes. One of their biggest sticking points is some of these environmental regulations, uh, which has fueled a surge in popularity for far-right and right-leaning parties. Um, So this growing what the article called Green Lash, uh, backlash against these green policies, Is a huge issue that the EU is going to have to face in getting these across the finish line, which is a shame given that they are vitally important and pretty existential in their implications. So I'm hoping they'll be able to pass these, but it's not going to be easy.
0: There's a whole host of issues in which the EU has led. um, The EU has led on green issues. The EU has led on uh, regulating new technologies effectively. The EU has led on providing a social safety net and a financially Uh, economically responsible way to to, in order to have uh, capitalist societies that grow but don't leave uh, people behind or along the side of the road. Um, The EU has led the way in integration and a whole host of other kinds of things promoting multilateralism. Um, uh, And having said that, uh, we are at a moment where, and this is consistent with what Chris was saying about the Middle East and what we were saying earlier about Putin and Orban and, and MAGA, uh, where some of that is in jeopardy uh that you know there are German elections coming up later this year uh, looks like there's a possibility for the establishment parties to suffer a big defeat and for the right uh wing to uh, to to gain um, there have been protests against that we'll have to see how that turns out there were protests against the right wing in Austria we'll have to see how that turns out uh, of course we've seen some of the handiwork of the right wing over the course of the past eight nine years uh, including of course brexit which is, you know, arguably the stupidest public policy ever adopted by any um uh European country in, in 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 the past several decades. Um and that's saying something so uh, you know, everything is precarious. It's quite possible we will get to the end of the year, Trump will be defeated, the right wings will be defeated, uh, support will exist to to turn the tide against Putin. Um uh the world will unite and put pressure on the Israelis who will have an election and get rid of Bibi Netanyahu and start to work towards a two-state solution, um, et cetera. All those things are possible. But right now, we don't know that that's going to happen. And that's why we have to watch all of these things extremely closely. Um, uh, and that's what we'll do right here at the DSR Daily each and every single day, where we'll add in a little bit of uh, friendly uh, you know, uh, uh, banter between the three of us and uh, They'll occasionally be a light story. Today was not one of those days, but uh, we'll try to look on the bright side periodically. We hope you will join us um, for that and for each and every one of our other podcasts, including um, uh, the new Daily Blast from uh, the New Republic with Greg Sargent. had a great interview with uh, Paul Krugman yesterday. Um, and uh, you know our intelligence show, our politics show, our foreign policy show, our national security show, our defense technology show. Um, and uh, our shows that are dealing with uh, other related issues. So uh, keep following us. Join us again tomorrow. Until then, bye-bye.